Welcome to Breaking the Silence. I'm Garnet Silverwolf. This is an open forum for those who are dealing with toxic and abusive relationships, whether with significant others, family members, friends, or co-workers. This is a platform for victims and survivors to share their stories, get support, locate resources and information, and to find hope for a more peaceful existence. In this episode, I'm very excited to have a fellow survivor join me. She endured and escaped a toxic and abusive relationship. And like me, she's passionate about helping others recognize the signs of toxic relationships and empowering them to find their strength, power, and voice. Hi, Kim. Welcome to Breaking the Silence. I really appreciate you joining me today. Hi. Thank you so much for having me on, Garnet. I really appreciate it. Well, just to let people know, we've been acquainted for a little over a year Um, We connected through Facebook. Do you remember that? Yes. Um, We share um, an interest in wellness, but through our conversations, we actually discovered that we had something else in common. Um, That that being that we both um, had experience with a toxic relationship. Yes. Do you mind giving the listeners a brief idea of what you were going through? So it's very complicated, but... I'm just going to kind of try to give you an overview. Um, I started dating somebody who I I didn't know at the time when I started seeing him that he was a narcissist, but I was in a really vulnerable place when I met him. Mm -hmm. Um, And we, we started dating um, and then he moved in with me and I knew that I kind of knew something was wrong with him, but when he moved in with me, it was really bad. Like he was, he belittled me. He, trivialized my feelings anything that I liked he would blow it off or trivialize it or tell me it was stupid Mm -hmm. um he was constantly he would say he would say to me like Jack my son has to be ready when we get there to pick him up from his dad's I'm not waiting outside and I would tell my son okay please be ready he said that he didn't want to be waiting my son would get in the car and he'd go oh you didn't have to rush he like completely undermined everything I said. Um, he, he just, he was jealous of everybody that I spoke to anybody that was, you know, something was about him. He was really jealous about it. He, he didn't work. He was violent. He slept all day long. And if we disturbed him at all, he was on the couch. Mm-hmm. Anyone who disturbed him, he would, you know, just, fly off the handle like we're supposed to tiptoe around him all the time so how long after you met him and started dating how long before he moved in what what was that timeline well it was about a year before he moved in okay I had been I'm a recovering addict and I had been clean for 15 years and when I met him I had just gone I had just gotten out of another really bad relationship with a sociopath, which was really horrible. Um, and before that I had been, I had gotten divorced and like, I never really worked through any of that, those emotions that I had. So when I met him, I was clean from drugs and alcohol, but I was really depressed and like really vulnerable. And so at the time I met him, he was, he was drinking and I thought, Oh, it'll be okay. You know, I can, you know, go out with him and um and then he said 
you're not living clean anyway. You might as well just use. And before I knew it, yeah, before I knew it, I was drinking with him. Um, We started using drugs together and we were having a good time using drugs and he moved in like right on the tail end of that. And as soon as we stopped using together, I knew I made a huge mistake. Right. So and, it and, was, and you stopped, so you stopped, but he kept, kept using or? No, we, we were doing one particular drug. Um, and when he moved in, we stopped doing that drug, okay. but he was still drinking. And then he got his medical marijuana license. And so we were still, I wasn't drinking, um, but I was, you know, using his marijuana off his medical marijuana license. And, um, and that was my only way of coping. Like th- that was the only thing I could do to cope with my life because I. To, to deal with so, him actually. Yes. Right? yes. Yeah. And the horrible thing is he would use that against me. Like if he was, if he didn't like something I did, he would, he would pick up, you know, the weed and go, this is going away. And then as soon as he was happy with me again, he'd be like, here, smoke it, smoke it, smoke it. And, you know, he, so he used that as leverage against me. Right. Another, another way for him to manipulate what you do. Yes. Interesting. So, yeah. And so he finally stopped drinking, which was huge and it, things got a little bit better, mm-hmm. but now, how did he act in public? Oh, he acted normal in public. Like he would, you know, act like we were, everything was great between us. And he would, um, and he was like really unapproachable with people. So sometimes he would smile at people, but other times he would just be really like he'd wear sunglasses if he shaved his head, he had a beard. So if he shaved his head and wore a hat, he was just really unapproachable. Like he never smiled, but he always acted like everything was great between us, especially when we were around our mutual friends. Right. Um, he always acted like, oh, he was so helpful and he was so, you know, caring about other people. And um, he, especially after I had my surgery, I had ankle surgery and I was off of my feet for eight weeks and you should have seen the way when we got around other people he acted like he was the most helpful person in the world but when we were at home and I would ask him to make me food he'd go nope he acted like Mr. Nice Guy Mr. Helpful you know he'd always like if if he saw me saying anything like oh I can't pay for that right now he'd rush up with his credit card and then make me feel guilty about it later probably ask you to pay him back or yes yeah. 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 So it was very frustrating. But then he would make inappropriate comments to people. Like he'd say, um, they, somebody would say, like, what are you guys going to do now? And he'd go, I'm going to go home and get her pregnant. Wow. What? Like, who says? Yeah. And meanwhile, he's like, he was telling me, I don't want to have kids. I don't want to have kids. And then he's telling people that it was, it was just really disrespectful. Like he had no. He had no social graces sometimes when it came to talking to people. It was, it was really weird. Huh. Now, how did he treat your son? 
he was really nice to my son. You know, he would buy him things, um, and, and mainly he would buy him things to make me look bad. Um, but he would joke around with them, and uh, they didn't have any problems. But there were a couple times where Jack felt completely disrespected by him, and Jack stood up for himself. And the narcissist was like, aren't you going to do something? And I'm like, no, you're disrespectful to him. Why should he say anything respectful to you? Exactly. And he was standing up for it. It wasn't wasn't like he was cussing him out. He just made a statement of fact and he didn't like that at all. So, you know, but mainly he was really, you know, good with my son. When you got, you said that when you guys were out and about in public that he, you know, acted like basically the model citizen for the most part, at least right. around mutual friends and family. So nobody really suspected what was going on behind closed doors. Would that be correct? That's absolutely correct. Yep. And so when you, when you tried to speak with anybody um, about what was going on, or did you try to speak with anybody? Did they, did they believe you? Did they doubt you? What was that like? Well, I would try to tell them things that happened and they would say, well, that doesn't sound that bad. They, so they really didn't believe me. Like it was, it was at a level where I couldn't even explain how bad it was because the things he did to somebody who didn't know anything about narcissism they would seem like somebody just being frustrated or, um, or they, they just wouldn't believe what I was telling them or they would just, they wouldn't know what to say or um, it, it just, it was weird because I could not verbalize. Right. No, I, I understand. I understand. It's like people, I mean, did you feel like people were defending him? or justifying whatever it was that he might have done so but did you did you feel like maybe they were defending like everyone around you that you tried to convey what was going on you feel like they were defending him or justifying what yeah whatever he was doing yeah I felt like they were especially the people who knew us both Mm -hmm. they would say something like oh well you two love each other so you know, you should find a way to make it work or like something like that. You know, they, yeah, they would try to defend him. They wouldn't try to understand what was really happening. Like one time he totally screamed at me for 10 minutes over a sponge that I was using a sponge and was cleaning his kitchen the wrong way. Like I'm in his house cleaning his kitchen and he's screaming at me about a sponge. And I told somebody about it and they just kind of blew it off. Like it was no big deal. Um, <laughs> I've, I've had incidences like that where I mean there was an entire thirty-minute shouting match over a single fork that didn't get loaded in the dishwasher. So <laughs> I, I get it. It's insane. You can't explain to somebody the insanity of living with a narcissist. They just think it's a normal argument. It's not. Right. No. No. And it. it I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, you, you get into these circular conversations where you're like, wait, what, what the hell just happened? What, how did we get on this subject? Did you, yes. did you have conversations like that where it starts one thing and all of a sudden you're back on something that happened like five or six years ago that yeah. you didn't even remember? Yeah. Yeah. Or 
for me, it was always like he always came back to something that was about me or something I did wrong or he would bring up something from my my past that he's never a part of and he would use it against me. Yeah, they 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 tend to when you're vulnerable and you share things with them, you're you're in a relationship, so you're going to share things that have shaped your life previously. Mm-hmm. But right. they turn around at any time within the relationship and weaponize those vulnerabilities and those um, sacred moments, basically, that you shared with them. Yes. I would never do that to somebody. It's like they have, it's like they have a library of things that they store and wait to use it when, when they, when they know it's going to do the most damage. Yes, that's exactly right. What kind of things, um, I mean, you touched on a little bit, but what kinds of things would he would he do or or say to just pick at you or, or needle you or harass you or torment you? What what kinds of what kinds of things did he did he have like a pattern? Did he have like a timeline? Like he was great for a couple of weeks and then all of a sudden something would blow up. Did he have things that triggered him or did you ever figure that out? Yeah, I did. Um, Well, first of all, when he was drinking, all bets were off. Like, it just didn't matter what it was. Um, You know, if anything would set him off when he was drinking. But the thing, the thing I started noticing was that he would have about a two week period where he was mean and nasty and just like sleeping all the time and um, you know, getting aggravated if I, if I, if we made too much noise around him, um, then he'd have like a period of about three or four days where he would be manic. He wouldn't eat. He wouldn't sleep. He'd be, he'd be really, uh, like engaged, deeply engaged in some project, like, one time he was trying to fix the light, the headlight on his car. And it took him a little while to figure out how to fix it. But he was, he, he spent, he would spend money like crazy. Um, and, and then he, then after that, after he'd be awake for three or four days and anytime I asked him if he wanted anything to eat, he would like bite my head off. <laughs> like, why are you yeah. asking me if I want to eat? And then, but during those times, it was like, I could talk to him. He wouldn't be mean. Um, he, but he didn't like it. Like on during those times when I would go to bed early or just go to bed at all. Like he wanted me to be up with him. Um, and then after about four days, he would totally crash. He would sleep for, you know, a day or two. Wow. Um, yeah. And then if I made any noise in the kitchen while he was sleeping, he would fly off the handle Um, you know, he's Jewish. So if anybody, if anybody mentioned anything about Hitler or, you know, the Holocaust or anything like that, he would lose his mind. If I wanted to watch a TV show, it was, there was no way we could watch my TV show. We always had to be his TV show. Um, yeah. If I didn't put enough rice on the plate, he would go, 
he, I bring him his food. Okay. I would cook his food and bring him his food and he would go, where's the rice? There's no rice on this plate, even though there was rice on that plate. Huh. And like, if you, if you want more rice, why don't you ask me to get you more rice? I shouldn't have to ask you. You should know exactly how much I, I want. One time he got pissed off at me because I didn't put the sauce on the spaghetti correctly. I mean, it was like, it was like absolute insanity. If I moved any of his things out of place, he would, he would get pissed off. Um, if we let the dogs out the back door and my son and I would like let the dogs out and we went back upstairs, he would fly off the handle because that would mean he would have to get up and let the dogs back in. Um, if I asked him if one day he slept for like three days straight and I asked him if he was okay and he freaked out on me because I asked because him if he was okay. Because you're concerned. Yes. And that had happened before, except he was in ketoacidosis because, oh, that's the other thing. He's type one diabetic. Okay. Which okay. is another thing. Um, but if he's one time he was in ketoacidosis. And he was, he was like that, like he was really lethargic and he couldn't think straight and he was sleeping like constantly. So I thought, oh my God, he's in ketoacidosis again. So I asked him if he was okay. And he's like, why do you keep asking me if I'm okay? Like, oh my God, why can't you just let me sleep? I mean, wow. it was insanity and he would just call me names for no reason like we would just be sitting on the couch and he'd be sitting there going, you fucking whore, you fucking cunt, you fucking bitch. I'm like, what? I'm like, why are you saying those things to me? Just out of and, nowhere. Yeah. He's like, I'm just joking. And they said, well, it's not funny. Like, how would you like it if I kept sitting here and you went, you dick, you asshole. Yeah. And he stopped doing it, but that's just the kind of stuff that he would do. Like he would, he would just call me names out of nowhere. He would lose his mind over one time. He ripped the blinds off the back sliding door because we asked him to let the dogs in. He ripped wow. the blinds off the door and then he would break stuff. Like he would break his own stuff out of anger. Did he ever break your stuff? Like your personal things or um, no, I don't think he ever broke my stuff. It was usually whatever he, whatever was around him, he would like pick them up. Like one time he broke his $300 sunglasses because he was so pissed. And then he says, look uh, what you made me do. Yes. 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 I wouldn't have had to do that if you would have just, you know, fill in the blank. Right. Right. Yeah, I'm very familiar with that. I've had uh, cell phones thrown at me and smashed. I've had cameras smashed. I had a computer. And it wasn't just my computer. It was like a mutual computer. It was right. a laptop. But he got pissed at something. And literally, like, it had a DVD drive. Mm -hmm. And he popped the thing open and, like, ripped it off of there. And then a couple weeks later, he ordered one to replace it. But see, that's the thing. He, he would destroy something and then it's like well if you hadn't pissed me off yeah i wouldn't have you know and so it, it's they never accept any responsibility for nope. anything that they ever do it's always somebody else that made them do that 
Right. They're, they're literally like a four-year-old child throwing a temper tantrum. Yes. Or he just wouldn't want to acknowledge that it happened. Right. Like he, yeah, he wouldn't want to acknowledge that he broke something and the reason that he broke it. Now, you're familiar with the terms trauma bond and gaslighting, correct? Yes. So can you, can you explain a little bit of what it was like for you and when you realized that you were, in fact, trauma bonded? I know we had a little bit of private discussion through chat off and on mm-hmm. of, you know, you knew that something was up, but you just were stuck. So can you go into that a little bit of, of how you recognize that what you were experiencing was in fact a trauma bond? Yeah, well, I'm still kind of like trying to learn about trauma bonding myself, but I realized that, so I think the reason he is like he is is because his brother bullied him and tortured him his entire life. Mm-hmm. And he had this thing around safety, like he always was not feeling safe. Like he had to always make sure that, you know, I, that my car was safe and he bought me like, you know, mace and he bought me like all this stuff was oh, with fire extinguishers everywhere. And so I got this feeling like he never felt safe in his life. And that was the only way he could feel safe was that if he put physical safety measures around him, even though he wasn't a safe person to be around. So Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, he was traumatized by his brother. And the only way that he could cope with it was to become the way he is now. And his brother probably is a narcissist too. Mm -hmm. So he, he had really low self-esteem. He, he felt inadequate, like, you know, and, and he would have these moments of like, you kind of forget, like you forget who he is and he would just have these moments of like vulnerability. And so he would tell me about these horrible things his brother did to him. And so I could tell, like he had no self-esteem because of that. You know, he had all these like physical problems going on because of like degenerative disc disease and diabetes and stuff. And I also had been bullied in my life, not by a family member, but like people at school, I felt emotionally abandoned by my parents, which he probably felt emotionally abandoned by his parents because they never did anything about his brother and his mother died when he was 19. And, um, so I, I always felt like low self-esteem too, you know, and I never, my parents never gave me a way to cope with the bullying they never like helped me develop a sense of self-esteem really Mm -hmm. um and I had been bullied by some like adults in my life too and so but I came out of it not a narcissist I came out of it like as a codependent so so and they're the same wound like narcissism and codependency are the same wound they they just come out differently so I think I like bonded with him in that way like I had compassion for him because I knew like all the hurtful stuff he had been through you know and he when he when I first met him like he made me feel really great about myself you know and he like bought me things and he took me on a trip and um you know he was um you know he treated me the way that I felt like I deserved to be treated when I first met him 
And so I was like, oh, you know, this guy's really cool. You know, he's fun to be with. He likes to buy me stuff. And, and so I, and that was like the attention that I had been looking for. And I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't get that attention before in those other relationships that I had just gotten out of. So I think that I stayed with him because I felt connected to him in, in that way with the, like the bullying and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I felt like, I, I don't know, like I, I just was so weak and I, I don't know, it just wasn't strong enough. And I just kept, he just kept sucking me back in. You know what I mean? Like we'd get in an argument. I'd say I'm never coming back. And I knew that everything that was happening was wrong. Like even before he moved in here and I would like leave and I'd be like, I'm never coming back again. And then he'd say something like, um, you know, he'd keep calling me and calling me and calling me and leave me alone. And then he'd apologize and say, you know, that that won't happen again. And then I, and I'd go back. So I was, I was connected to him in that way, because I think of the, the wound that, that we both have and the low self-esteem. And I feel like, I felt like I was helping him in some way, I don't know, be a better person or that I could change him or, um, you know, and I had something to occupy my time instead of having to look at myself. Well, and I think a lot of that is narcissists tend to seek out empaths. You and I are both, you know, nurturing people. We have kids where, you know, we're just kind of, that's who we are. We're empaths. We, we try to fix or want to rescue, even though, you know, it's, it's at our detriment. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're going to put our, our needs aside for someone else. Um, yeah. And I think that back and forth that you described a trauma bond perfectly where you'd say, I'm done, I'm out, that's it. And that they lavish, you know, the, the gifts, the niceties, the promises yeah. to change. You know, yep. that's, that's love bombing. And yeah. it's also called, you know, the love bombing kind of goes hand in hand with what they call hoovering. And Mm -hmm. hoovering, obviously, they're trying to suck you back in. And so, you know, they have an arsenal of, you know, and it just, they decide which they're going to use. They're going to love bomb you to hoover you back. And if it doesn't work, then it's like, well, screw you. You'll never survive without me. And if you leave, I'll make your life a living hell, you know? And I heard that, I, you know, it would go from, oh, I love you. Please come back. And then when you say, no, I'm not coming back. It's like, well, screw you you know, let's see how hardball you want to play, you know? So it's, it's literally, I used to say that it was like being on a roller coaster from hell. It was, you know, because you you never know, you never know what's coming up. Yeah. And he used to say, you're going to see how unbearable life is without me. And he would always sing to me too. Or you'll never find anybody better than me. Yes, he used to say that. Did he, too, did he ever but, tell you that, you, that no, nobody will ever love you like I do? Yes. Yeah. He told me that too. And then you say, yeah. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He used to say yeah. things to me like, like whenever he would see me like trying to better myself or anything, he would go, You don't love me. You're going to leave me like a baby you don't love me. You're going to leave me. Right. You don't love me. And like, it was like he knew. And so he'd sabotage. And so he'd sabotage any effort that you made to better yourself 
or expand your horizons and, you know, finish your education, get a job, yeah. anything that, anything that would be what you wanted or dreamed or hoped or wanted to accomplish was threatening to him. And yeah. like you said, it was just like a baby, like, you know, an abandonment issue. Yes. And so they would sabotage, basically he sabotaged anything that you try to do for yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. So can you share some examples of some of the types of things that you experienced or dealt with, with that abuser? Yeah. So he was always like bringing things up from my past that he had nothing to do with. Like he would keep them in his mind and use them against me later. So um, it was very, very hurtful. Um, so this one time I had, I had quit my job um, as an English professor and I couldn't afford to take my dog to the vet. And that was just so painful. You know, I didn't even remember that until I went back about a month ago and looked through some of the journals I'd been writing. Cause I used to just come upstairs and just write, you know, everything that he'd done to me because it was so unbelievable. Yeah. And I, and I remembered that and I was like, Oh my God, like, wh why would somebody be that cruel? Like that was the thing. He was cruel. He wasn't just mean. He was cruel and he would hit below the belt and he would also make fun of other people that, you know, we, that he claimed to be friends with. Um, but he would make fun of people behind their backs and just say like the cruelest things. And, um, you know, I, I wasn't like, I could never be that cruel to somebody. Right. And then he'd probably play it off. Like he never said it. Or he was joking. Yeah. Like, Oh, can't you take a joke? I was just joking. And I'm like, yeah, but it's cruel. You know, um, yeah. yeah, or he like I took it the wrong way or something, you know, it was always he was joking or I took it the wrong way. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so he would do things like that all the time. Like we would go to NA meetings together and or, which is Narcotics Anonymous and I would share in meetings and he would take what I said in meetings and use it against me later. When you got home and, or whatever. Yeah, when I we got home or like in, you know it could have been the next day. It could have been a month later. It could have been two months later. He would mm -hmm. just use whatever I said in meetings and use it against me. And I started to feel really unsafe in meetings um, where, you know, there was supposed to be a place where I felt safe, you know, and I started to feel really unsafe there. So, yeah. So th those were just, um, it was just like, that was just two of like many, many examples. Um, but one of the worst things was, um, the gaslighting, like everything I would say to him about something he did that aggravated me or that I would ask him to do something, he would turn it around and either completely change the subject and then to talk, end up talking about something that I did that had nothing to do with what I was talking about, or he would make it seem like my fault. So I asked him a couple of times, I'm like, can you please clean the grime out of the bathtub? And he would go, I'm not doing that. And I said, well, you left the grime in there. And he goes, well, it's your fault for putting the hair trap on the, on the drain. That's why it's not going down the drain. Uh. 
I'm like, no, it's not going down the drain because it's grime that's stuck to the bathtub. And he would just never, he, he was such a slob. Like he would just never take responsibility for anything. Like his, the, the living room was his bedroom. I mean, it was his like closet, his dressers, everything, his place for his deodorant, his razor. He would leave everything in the living room. And when I asked him if he would, you know, please like not do that, he would say, this is my house. I can do whatever I want. Wow. So, yeah. So it was, um, it was really bad. Just, you know, the, the, and I never knew what gaslighting was. I never knew like why, why he would have the audacity to like turn stuff around on me. I never knew what that was until I started talking to you actually about what he was doing. Uh Um, and, and so now it like makes total sense, but yeah, there was totally no responsibility taken for his actions, but then he would say I was the one who wasn't taking responsibility for my actions. Right. Right. They project their indiscretions and problems and stuff like that onto someone else right yes yeah yeah gaslighting uh, honestly i mean even though i was in it for decades you know i i don't i don't know when i first heard the term gaslighting but it was definitely well well into the relationship and it, it started me on the path of figuring out what it was i mean i just always thought he was a jerk i just thought he was Mm -hmm. an insufferable selfish you know asshole for lack of anything else but then when i when i learned that there was like this narcissism and this narcissistic personality disorder and all of the traits that fit into that description it was it definitely like oh my god this is what I'm dealing with. It's not just jealousy. It's not just control. It's an entire paradigm of behaviors. Yes. Yeah. Toward the end, um, he had type one diabetes and toward the end, like we never had sex. I mean, and he couldn't even like perform at all. He couldn't even get it up. And so he would, he would make demands on me that were just like rude, um, you know, sexual demands on me that were crude and rude and obnoxious. And I would say, no, I'm not doing that. He would be like, come on, come over here and suck my cock. And I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. And he goes, well, I offered offered you're the one who doesn't want to have sex so like he would turn it around on me for his inadequacy right he would make it look like it was my fault that we weren't having sex Mm -hmm. even though he was the one who couldn't even initiate anything and i didn't even want to have sex with him anymore anyway probably just with the treatment i know that i i had gotten to that point it's like how can you be attracted to someone that treats you so poorly yes and he couldn't even perform anyway so so instead of 
you know, his feeling bad, he would make me look bad. Like Uh I was the one who turned him down. Right. Yeah. So that, that was another like major gaslighting thing that he did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just amazing. Some of the, some of the things that they do. And, and I, I mean, it's like, it's almost like it's premeditated sometimes. Yes. Yeah. That is really sick. So what um what kinds of I mean those are some of the experiences that you had but um like how did you, how did your health suffer or what kinds of effects do you think that the abuse had not just on your emotional well-being but on your physical health do, do you think that you had any I think that the health issues I had were a combination of being experiencing major burnout from my job, which was completely exacerbated by him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was a combination of him and burnout from my job. I got to, um, well, I had ankle surgery, but like before that I was getting to a point where I couldn't eat anything without feeling nauseous. Like I would, start to eat food and then I would feel sick and then I would completely lose my appetite. And it turned out I had, um, H pylori, which is like a bacterial buildup in your gut. That's like an overgrowth of it. Right. And I went on antibiotics for it and I just had like, you know, I was, I had that health problem. I couldn't stop eating sugar. Like we were sitting at, we were sitting around every single night eating chocolate and donuts, like crazy. Like it was, it was insane. And I gained, I gained weight from it. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but I was also like really detached from my life and I was numb for, from everything. Like I, I couldn't even laugh anymore. I couldn't even like smile. Like nothing was fun. Um, I was always, you know, stressed out about, you know, what, what thing was going to happen next. Like, what was he going to say next? You know, what was he going to do next? Um, and I was just really like depressed. And I, you know, I was living a lie like like I was living a lie and but I was also getting high so that was kind of like between that and eating all that sugar I was just kind of numbing out all the time right so sort um, of self-medicating in a, in a roundabout way but unhealthy yeah. self-medicating oh yeah totally yeah um and anytime I would try to do something for myself you know, he would somehow make it all about him and, you know, somehow like sabotage me. Like we were talking before about talking about before. So I realized, um, I realized what was happening. And I, so I, I worked with a burnout coach and luckily I had the money to do it because I had left my job and I cashed out my retirement, um, so that I could, you know, not work for a while. 
and because I had like a lot of recovering to do just for my job. Like my job really stressed me out. And that was the other thing. Like he was so convinced that I was sleeping with my students and, you know, not acting appropriately with my students and my grading papers was taking time away from him. And it, it was horrible. It was horrible. Um, you can't be a teacher and date a narcissist because they are convinced that you're sleeping with your students or, or your colleagues. Yeah. Or your colleagues. Right. So anyway, so I worked with this burnout coach and she helped me realize that, you know, I was living in this flight or fight mode, like constantly I was, you know, my nervous system was just activated all the time mm -hmm. because I was under so much stress. Um, and so she helped me realize that like I could live in a beautiful state or I could live in a miserable state. And I had been choosing to live in a miserable state for a long time, you know, not just with the narcissist, but, you know, prior to that mm -hmm. with other relationships I'd been in. Um, and I started doing things like meditating and um, breathing and it, it just doing more like self-care um, I started eating better. I, I did. I started eating a lot better. And, and she put me on this, uh, gut, this gut health program that helped me completely reset my gut. <clears throat> so I was able to start eating food again, like regular food. Right. And, um, I got a job at a gym. Um, it was just part-time, you know, but it was still like a job and it started getting me out and meeting other people. And the more that I did that self-care, the more um, I started realizing how much, you know, how much damage my, I had done to my body just from the stress of being in that relationship mm -hmm. And I probably wouldn't have even left my job. Like if I would have known about all this stuff sooner, I probably would have been able to stay at my job or take like a leave of absence or something. Uh -huh. But at the time I felt so trapped, like I couldn't stand my job anymore. I couldn't stand living with him. I, I my whole life was just, I felt trapped in every way possible. Right. And so I quit my job that I'd been at for 16 years. <clears throat> um, but, you know, but so that, that alone, like that release of that stress helped me to deal with the stress, the other stress that was in my life. Do you think it helped Which, you recognize by leaving your job? Do you think, you know, you, you released that aspect of your life and you still weren't a hundred percent. Well, <clears throat> I think that I didn't, I never told my burnout coach about what was happening. Like I, I just worked with her. I never told her what was happening. And I think probably the, the big aha moment for me that I was like, I'm not doing this anymore was when he, um, I went to a spinning class and he was texting me on the way to spin about how I, I had just done some posts on my um, Facebook page about this 
this green shake that I've been drinking. Mm-hmm. And he's like, nobody gives a shit about your green shake. You're making a fool of yourself. Like he was texting me all of this while I was driving to the gym. He was pissed off that I'd left him at home by himself after he had just given me total hell about money. Like the, the day before and he expected me to stay home with him. Um, he was literally cussing me out and making fun of me on messenger while I was driving to the gym. So I was like, I can't do this anymore. You know, and before, before, uh, when, when I got home, I blocked him on Facebook. And when I got home, he goes, he was supposed to have neck surgery that upcoming week. Uh-huh. And I said, he goes, I don't want you to uh, pick me up from my neck surgery. I said, okay, fine. So I called his dad and I said, can you please take him to his neck surgery? Because he doesn't want me to pick him up. So why should I take him? Right. Right. So the next day, this was Sunday, I was getting ready for work. And he came upstairs and he said, did you ask my dad to take me for my surgery? And I said, yep. I said, you don't want me to pick you up. Why should I take you? And why should I want to be with somebody who was cussing me out and making fun of me on Facebook? And he was livid. I was trying to get ready for work. And he was, I was like, leave me alone. And he kept forcing his way into the bathroom. Um, He was, and then I was like, get away from me. And he's like threatening me to push him into the closet in the hallway. Now, Here's a man who had compressed discs in his neck. He was having serious neck surgery threat, like taunting me to push him. And I really wanted to push him, but I didn't. Um, And then he started like flicking my makeup off the sink like a child would do. And then he told me that, that the bathtub was in my future. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Wow. That sounds like a threat. Yeah, it was. So I got ready for work. I left, I left for work. I, on the way home from work, I picked up my son from his dad's. We came back here, we packed our stuff and we left because like at that moment when I was having that going on in the bathroom, I was like, I can't live like this anymore. I don't deserve to live like this anymore. So it was like a buildup from the time that I worked out from this, with this burnout coach in December and clearing my, you know, cleaning up my gut, clearing my head, getting out of the brain fog, um, meeting other people, finally like seeing my life for what it was. And the other thing I had been doing is I had been doing this, this exercise called morning pages where every morning I would get up and write about what was in my head. And through that exercise, I realized I can't live like this anymore. I don't deserve this. So, um, so that, that Sunday night I came home, I packed my stuff and I went to my parents' house. It was summer. It was summertime. So we, my son didn't have school. So that week I was like, you know what? I'm going to file a restraining order against him. Even though he, so the day before his next surgery, I, he got served with a restraining order and it was like, it was like all of a sudden I completely detached from the situation 
completely just put a wall up and was able to just stick up for myself and my son. Right. And, and realize like, I don't care what happens to him. I don't care where he goes. I don't want him there anymore. And all of a sudden, like all the fear that I had just completely left me. And I was like, there's nothing he can do to hurt me because if he does, he'll go to jail. Yeah. And so I think that something just from doing self-care and from um, writing and, you know, talking, talking to myself about my problems. And um, I was able to flip a switch in my brain and get like a moment of clarity where I saw everything for exactly what it was. And I didn't have that, you know, that trauma bond anymore. I wasn't like, Oh, you know, what'll happen to him? Like, I didn't care what happened to him. Yeah. So that was working with that burnout coach completely changed my whole perspective on everything. And, um, you know, it, it, and then I think also connecting with other people and working in a positive environment, like the, the gym, you know, just really helped me come out of it, come out of that, like denial and like fog and everything I had been living in. Cause he would, he would use things against me. Like he would always say, well, how are you going to support yourself without me? Mm-hmm. And I, and like, at that moment, I was like, I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. Right. You know, but I'm not going to live like this anymore. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I, I kind of, I know exactly what that, what that feels like, because that was something that I always heard is, you know, you've been a stay at home mom you know, who's going to hire you. Uh, You'll never survive without me. I've always taken care of this family. I'm the one that makes the money. You'll be nothing without me ad ad nauseum of, you know, you you name it that, you know, I've, I've had that thrown at me. So, so what challenges did you actually face when you finally made that decision and, you knew that it was over. What, what kind of challenges did you run into actually moving forward after getting the restraining order and getting him basically out of the house and, and stuff like that? What, what did you, what did you ultimately face at that point? So the biggest challenge I faced was having to see him in court. And luckily I had, I, I went through uh, an agency that helps victims of domestic abuse and I got a free lawyer and he was amazing. It, it the, the biggest challenge was when he came to get the rest of his stuff and me not killing him. Like that was, <laughs> that was the biggest challenge after, you know, as far as um, the, you know, the money and everything, my tax return came. I, I'd been waiting for my tax return all year. My tax return came at the end of July and it was exactly the amount I needed for two months of rent for July Perfect. and August. Perfect. It, it was unbelievable. Like I was stunned. Um, and ever since then, like the biggest challenge I faced is you know, how am I going to pay, you know, this bill, like, like this month, my, my electric company likes to 
estimate the amount of electricity they think you're going to use. And then a couple of months later, they hit you with this gigantic bill. So my challenge like this month was how am I going to pay my electric bill? Like I had a shutoff notice and, um, you know, I, I just called them and they made a payment plan with me, payment plan with me. And now my electricity is not getting shut off. So the, the biggest challenge I have faced is financial, but you know, my higher power has always come through for me. I've had amazing support from my friends. I've had a ton of help through the County that I live in. Um, and a lot of times, like with some companies, I've told them what I went through and they were totally understanding and, you know, gave me a second chance or cleared some balance I owed or something like that. So really the biggest challenge I faced was my own fear. Yeah. And that's a big one. That's a big one. I, yeah. That was, honestly, that's what kept me stuck for 34 years was fear, yeah. fear of not knowing fear of everything that he ever said would happen, that it would happen if, if I left, you know, and so that's yeah. what kept me. And unfortunately, I think that's what keeps a lot of people stuck is the fear of what will happen. Will they come after me? Will they hurt me? Will I, you know, wind up yeah. homeless on the street? I mean, those are yeah. real fears. Those are fears that I myself had. Absolutely. And, you know, but I'm a, I'm a big believer that we all have the strength within us to do what we know is right. And when we do what's right for us, we do what's right for everybody else. And the universe will provide for you and will see you through whatever struggles that you have. There's, you know, there's always help will show up when you need it out of nowhere. Um, you know, people are, especially women are just amazingly understanding and helpful. Um, you know, when, when women bond together, like <laughs> there's nothing that women can't do, you know? So yeah, you're right. The, the fear is what holds people back, but the fear is also what made me push forward because I was more afraid of staying with him and what was going to happen than I was of being homeless because I knew there was no way Jack and I would end up homeless. There was no way. Cause I have a lot of people, you know, in my corner. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, my parents stepped up to help me, which I never, you know, never expected. So yeah, like I find that true in other parts of my life too, that, you know, the biggest thing that stops me is my own fear and my own insecurity when really everybody has the answers within themselves. They just have to have faith that they're, that if they seek the answers and act on the answers in themselves, <clears throat> then they're going to be okay. Right. And I know you and I had quite a bit of discussion during all of this time mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, of, I, I remember you were like, I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. And I would throw out, I mean, we were literally just, you know, brainstorming back and forth between the two of us. Hey, do you have this kind yeah. of agency? What about a church? What about this? What about that? So, what suggestions and resources would you recommend to others that that are in toxic and abusive relationships when they know that they need to get out, but they're they're basically 
like a deer in the headlights. They don't know what to do. What, what kind of suggestions yeah. or resources would you, would you recommend? Well, the first thing that I would do and, and to start like preparing yourself is to have a place in your house. Cause this is the other thing I did too. You have a place in your house. That's just yours where you can go and you can think and you can write and you can um, do research or whatever you need to do. But, but that was huge for me was having like a place that I could retreat and get away from him. Um, and every day writing how you feel and every day writing about what you want to happen, because we live in fear so much that we can't even come up with creative solutions. We just, we just play this, this, you know, messages on loop constantly. I, I can't do this. I'm scared. I can't do this. I'm scared. So mm -hmm. that would be the first thing is to find a place where you can just write every morning about what happened, what's going on, what, you know, what you want to happen. And then you can start coming up with creative solutions. Um, the next thing I would do is start like find out if there are agencies or, you know, if in like in Montgomery County where I live in Maryland, there is a um, department of family justice through the sheriff's office. And when you, if you file a restraining order, they get involved and they help you find resources and they help you write up the, the whole restraining order um, and they help you with, you know, they help you with anything that you need help with. Like they, they, uh, have, they have funding to help you change the locks on your house and they have someone come out and do it for you. So finding any kind of, a a domestic violence help center in your County or in your state, um, and then seeking out like the resources that they have and, and actually calling them and find out what resources they have. The other thing is documenting every single thing that happens um, and file a restraining order if you can, because, you know, even if they do like, you know, they may never put their hands on you, but if they even threaten you or threaten your life or threaten your pets or threaten your children, you can put down in the restraining order and say that you're fearful of your life. Right. And they have to leave the home. I mean, I know that's how it is in Maryland. Like they have to leave the home. They get served the papers. They have to leave the home and they have like 15 minutes to get out. Um, and then, you know, they they can't come near you or, you know, they could go to jail. Now I know that there are some people who are, my narcissist had already been to jail, <coughs> excuse me, for something else he'd done in his past. And he had a really a fear of going back to jail. So he wasn't ever going to try to break that restraining order. Uh -huh. But if you think that there is a chance that that person is going to be violent and like come hunt you down or something for doing that, then you should go find out where there are domestic violence shelters in your area and, and go there until you know that you're safe and they can help you find resources <clears throat> to remain safe or go to, you know, a, a friend's house or a family member's house, have an emergency bag packed <clears throat> for you and your kids. 
and keep it in the car. So that way, if you have to leave at the last minute notice, you can just get in the car and go, you know, have money stashed away that he doesn't know about. So you basically have to like set yourself up um, with information so that you can take steps to leave and that you have, um, you know, protection on your side from, from, you know, the police officers, the sheriff, you know, people who work in domestic violence centers. Uh So, you know, the, the first thing would be to just really make sure that, um, you are writing everything down and you're, and let somebody else know what's happening too, because that's so important that you let somebody else know what's happening. Well, and I, I would, I would add to that. Um, if, if you are able to, um, not just let someone else know, but the documentation that you keep, whether it's pictures of things that they've broke or bruises or whatever, um, either, keep you know give copies to a trusted friend or family member or even have if i mean as a last resort like a safe deposit box or something so that so that you aren't the only one in possession of those items because i mean i i've i've heard of situations where that abuser finds that stuff and destroys it or yeah or ramps up the abuse once they find it and be like well mm-hmm. you think I abuse you now you just wait you know so yeah so, absolutely so have you know have more than one copy and have you know have somebody that you trust hold that in possession so that if anything happens that you can't produce it that mm-hmm. you know, someone else has has it for a backup yeah that's yes, absolutely. That's a great idea. I luckily, um, when I left, um, to go to my parents, I grabbed all that stuff. Like I grabbed all my, you know, important documents Mm -hmm. and took it with me because I, you know, I didn't know what, what he was going to do, but, um, but yeah, so yeah, that's a great idea because they are crazy. Yeah, I mean, and, and there were times, and, and unfortunately, statistically, it takes an average of seven times of attempting mm-hmm. to leave, to leave and stay gone. That's about where my situation was. There were many times that I tried to leave and he'd hoover me back. Or I, you know, I was so trauma bonded. And of course, you know, we had spent so many years together, had a family together. And, and I felt that, you know, I could fix him, you know, just mm-hmm. I, I, I bend more and, and bend more and let him, you know, have, have whatever it is and everything will be okay. But that's not the case. The more I gave, the more he took. Yes. And, and yes, I, absolutely. I and and i and i've seen it not just in myself but in so many others that you completely lose yourself yes and you become so enmeshed in that other person that your entire existence revolves around catering to their every whim yeah and if you don't it's chaos right chaos ensues if they're not 
the center of your attention, it's chaos. Correct. Yeah. And if there's not drama going on, they will find a way to start drama. Yeah, that was that was the one thing that he used to say. I'm I don't like drama. He used to pride himself on the fact that he doesn't like drama. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So um I know that we were talking, you have since escaping and in your in your process of healing. You have your own business that you now help other women. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, um, so I, while all this was going on, <clears throat> I decided, and after I worked with my burnout coach, I decided I wanted to be a health coach. Um, and so I started um, studying at the Institute of Integrative Nutrition. And in the meantime, I realized that the way that I got out of that relationship was through fixing my health, clearing my, cleaning my gut, um, which helped me clear brain fog and just using health as a way to step back into my power. Um, I, I stopped eating sugar with him every night. And so that was like a, a bond that broke my bond with him in that way. Mm -hmm. um, I started going to bed early earlier um i started taking time for myself and so through self-care and through um changing my health i was able to empower myself to make changes in other ways which included leaving him so that's what i that's what i help want to help women do now is to help them gain self-confidence and help them step into their own power to leave the toxic relationship by helping them fix their health, helping them um, uh, regain control of themselves through self-care. And then that starts helping your mental state and that starts helping you like gain confidence and realize that you don't deserve to live that way and that you have other options. Like you can start think you can start seeing other options because you start clearing your head and you start seeing things for what they are. And, and, and like, we, like we discussed, I mean, you and I both face, you know, challenges on a daily basis, whether financial or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, other emotional challenges, or we may have down days, but by far, no matter what we face now, it is so much better to at least have the peace and the calm and somewhat of a form of stability, mental stability, and never having to worry about what you're going to say or do and what kind of drama is going to ensue, regardless of what challenges we face after leaving is far worth it to be away from that kind of toxic relationship. Would you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. Every day, I thank God that I don't come home and find him here sleeping on the couch. You know, every day I thank God that I can go out with my friends and not, you know, hear, you know, accusing me of going out and cheating on him or whatever. Like, 
it's so freeing. I can't even describe it. I'm sure you know. Yes. And yeah, so the challenges that, and the, the other thing is the challenges that I face now, I get through them on my own, you know, and it like gives me even more sense of my own empowerment and my own competence and my own ability to like be a woman and take care of myself, you know? So it just even like diminishes his, you know, lies that he told me constantly even further. Mm-hmm. Like you can't live without me, you know, um, I'm paying all the bills right now. How are you going to pay the bills without me and um, get a job? <laughs> That's how I'm yeah. going to pay the bills without you. So yes, whatever you go through afterward is so much better than dealing with the abuse constantly every day, right. all day. And I, and I know that there's some people um, there, there was a time and, and it, it comes and goes, but I know that there, there's some people when they get out and they're like second guessing themselves, like, was it really that bad? Maybe I should just go back. He did pay the bills. We did go on vacations. We did, you know, and, mm-hmm. and th- there's going to be those. And I just want to encourage people that, that are trying to get out of that situation. And once they're out, yes, there's going to be struggles, but stay the course, mm-hmm. you know, because it's, it's going to, it's going to be better. It may not seem like it right away. It may not seem like it's six months down the road, but you don't deserve that abuse. No, nope. you've, you've done nothing to deserve it. And right. You need to take care of you. And if, you know, if you have kids, take care of your kids and, and don't let someone else have your power. That's That's right. That's not what you're on this earth plane. That is not what your existence is about. That's right. And that's what narcissists, they pick on, they pick people who have power. They pick people who have value because they don't have any, they don't have any value. They don't have any power. So they suck it out of you. Correct. And if they're, if they've picked you, that means you have power. You have something that they want. Yes. And yes. you have, I, have to take it back. Yeah. I used to, I used to say it's, um, I used to call him an energy vampire. Yeah. Yes. That's exactly what my narcissist was. Well, um, I'm going to put um, a link to your business. If that's okay, I'll put that in the show notes. So anyone that wants to reach out and get more information from you, they can do that. Okay. Um, Awesome. And I also always, um, I always include the national domestic violence hotline and website Mm -hmm. so that people that may not know where else to turn can at least go there and hope, hopefully find resources in their area. Yeah. Yes, definitely. I mean, I believe that more and more domestic violence is happening now, especially since the pandemic. And at least here in in Maryland, um, they take it very seriously. You know, there's just find the resources because they're there. They're out there. Right. And, and you and I both are, very passionate about getting information out there and helping to mm-hmm. educate people that don't feel like they have a way out. 
and don't know where to turn. Yeah. And so that's, I know that you and I have that same passion that we want to help as many people as we can that need it, yeah. even if they don't realize that they need it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, because the other thing that I want to say is that if you're with a, a toxic person like a narcissist and they haven't physically abused you, but they are a violent person and they do things like throw things, tear things down off the wall, tear things out of the wall, um, you know, flip chairs, flip tables, it'll eventually be you. Yes. That they're, that they're acting out on. Yes. And, and I learned that the hard way also. Yeah. And I discussed that in one of my previous episodes that, you know, just because they haven't done it yet, if they, sh if they, you know, have anger issues, if they make threats, if they destroy belongings and property, whether it's yours, theirs, or somebody else's, please, mm -hmm. please be aware that just because they have not done anything physical to you yet does not mean that they will not. Exactly. Yep. Well, Kim, I really appreciate you joining me today. And um, like I said, I will um, put a link to your information in the show okay. notes. Okay. And, um, hopefully we've gotten to a bunch of people that may not have known what a toxic relationship looks like because a lot of people mm -hmm. don't recognize it. That's right. They don't. And, and it's, you know, abuse is verbal, mental, emotional, financial. It's not just physical. Yes, exactly. Okay. Well, I appreciate you being here with me today. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me today. My mission is to offer information, support, and hope for anyone involved in a toxic relationship. Whether it's an intimate relationship or one between friends, family members, or co-workers, please know that you do not deserve that abuse and it is not your fault. By breaking the silence, together we can raise awareness and give hope to those who are struggling, feeling trapped, and are searching for answers.